Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. 
Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Linda, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's so nice. Finally, finally. Thank you so much. I've been traveling. You've been traveling. It's been a little chaotic. I know. I'm glad we uh, we finally <laughs> we're, we're both finally in a place where we can do this. Like there, there are no waves distracting me and, and no uh, no retreats distracting you. I know. I, I have a month and a half off. I spent yesterday just cleaning my office like I was just in heaven surrounded by a big old mess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to ask you my very first question that I usually ask everybody, and that is, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, your background, uh, kind of the Reader's Digest version of your story and how that has brought you to doing this work that you do? Sure. Um, it was mostly accidental. I was uh, a kid in love with books, but I never felt that I was very intelligent. Um, came from a family of geniuses, so I just decided to be athletic and to have a great life. So. I went to school, didn't pay too much attention in school, mostly just thought it was a social experiment, knew that I needed to learn how to deal with people, flirted a lot, you know, had a boyfriend for six years so I could I could just be stable and, and, and have fun and do sports but flirt at the same time. No idea that I would ever be in an, in an intellectual career. I always thought that was out of my realm of possibility. Um, gra- didn't graduate college, went to USC, left all the hard stuff for, for last. So I loved my psych courses. Um, I loved my environmental courses, but I left Spanish three calculus and statistics till the end. And I absolutely could not get my brain around those courses. So I, so I quit school, um, thought, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to be an entrepreneur anyway. Um, but truth be told, I, I had a lot of shame about that. Went into, um, I started living in Hollywood and Beverly Hills area. And one day I had a vision that I was a pet sitter for all these big mansions with these dogs that were lonely. Um, believed the vision, started a little pet sitting business that ultimately catered to a lot of celebrities. Had a dream one night that told me to write the life stories of these people in a compilation book, which I did. Um, the book was quite successful in the media. Some of the celebrities went on, you know, on the talk shows with me. And then that just immediately um, inundated me with people wanting my help getting agents and editors and all that. I would look at their stuff see that it needed upgrading, um, show them how to tweak their stuff. And somehow, I don't know, <laughs> Srini, I had a full-time editing business pretty, pretty much immediately. It took me away from my own writing. I've had to, um, I've had to be careful of that because once you start helping other people, it's actually incredibly gratifying. I made great money at it. It seemed that almost everybody 
I helped, um, got book deals. The first one had a bidding war. Um, the second one had a bidding war. The, the fourth one I worked on got a million dollar advance. I mean, I, I just seemed to sort of step into, I guess they call it your Dharma. You know, it, it, it was a lot of hard work, but it came very, very easy to me. I just seemed to under, you know what it is? I think because I didn't have, um, a lot of faith in my ability to be an academic person that I didn't have a lot of fear about, um, following, following any particular plan. I thought, well, I can just make up the rules because I've been making it up anyway. And so I didn't have a lot of intimidation actually towards the publishing industry. I just figured I could do whatever I wanted. And, and, and my belief in my clients just sort of, um, uh, leaked out into them and they started believing and suddenly we were just having success after success. And, and then my husband bailed after 20 years and I started, um, retreats because I couldn't help everybody one-on-one. There were too many people and I was too tired and I was ghostwriting books that, that were doing really well in the world. So I didn't want to stop ghostwriting. And, uh, I started teaching retreats and, and that has become the most profoundly important work I've ever done just because it's so much fun. It's so easy. It's so celebratory. And, and my, my clients are getting book deals and now I'm going to take, I'm going to take it easier next year and do my own book. Um, but I'm still doing the retreats. I still love them. And I got, I think that's about it. Awesome. Well, that gives me a, a lot to work with. Um, well, let, let's, let's take a few steps back. I, I want to start at the very beginning yeah. uh, of this journey. I mean, you get out of college. One of the things that you said right when you started describing your idea for your first book was that you believed in a vision yeah. and, and, and you executed that vision. And I think that, you know, I, I see this so often, uh, having been around this world for, you know, the last four to five years and, and been exposed to so many people is that a lot of people have ideas but they, they one they, they have really a really hard time translating them the vision and more importantly they 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 have a hard time believing in that vision. Yeah. So what I'm curious about is, is you know how you know when you're guiding people who are stuck in that place where they don't believe in their vision. Oh yeah. Know, how do you get them out of that? Because I think that's profoundly important to be able to do any kind of creative work. You know that's a, that's a really good question. I think I um I inherently believe that there's always a way. I, what I have seen in my life and then in the lives of my clients who are the most successful is that I don't believe the universe or God or whatever you call it gives you an ache, a burning burning ache to do something without there being a realistic practical path towards having that desire fulfilled. So I come from that standpoint that if somebody is showing up to my retreat, they've spent the time and the money to get there, they're aching to do this book, I never think that that's for naught. I never think that's a useless exercise. I always, I always figure this person has a book in them. The book is meant to come out. I believe all books have their own destiny, their own voice, very much like a child. I feel like I'm midwifing babies. So I try to tap into the book. I know that sounds a little crazy, but... I tap into the book that wants to be born. And very often it's not the thing that they, that the person comes to me for. Very often it's a little bit different than they had imagined. But once I see it, and I think I see it pretty easily, it's so easy to convince them because I can see it. I mean, it's, it's like, it has a life, it's breathing and walking right in front of me. And then when I, I think they capture my enthusiasm and then it's so easy for them to see it. And then once they start acting on it and the little, I call them miracles, the little miracles start happening. They might be the smallest little things from 
somebody offering to help them that they never anticipated would help them, or they wake up at three in the morning with two pages of, of text as if it was downloaded and, it, and they remember it and it's flawless, or whether, you know, an unexpected check comes in the mail that allows them to take two months to suddenly work on it, whatever it is, those, those things start to happen enough to give them the confidence that they're on the right track. Mm-hmm. So you said something else in there that I want to dig deeper into. You said a book that wants to be born. And what I'm curious about, you know, because a lot of us, the blog to book deal dream or, you know, we look around the world, we see the Danielle Laports, we see people like you, we see the Pamela Slims. And of course, you know, I I think to some degree, I think we're quick to judge the package by the wrapping paper. You know, once we get a realistic picture into what what actually goes into this, things are are a bit different. Yeah. when you look at people, and I do want to talk about writing in quite a bit of detail, but finding a book that wants to be born, I mean, how do you do that? Like, how do we do that with our own work? I mean, and how, how do we find that message? The thing, I, I guess, you know, Justine Musk had a beautiful way of putting it. She said it's it's what she calls a soul print. And I, I, I wondered, yeah. like, how do you find that in your own work? Well, first, you have to trust the ache. So once you trust that you are meant to write something, then you start that dialogue with yourself and your God. I mean, I, you know, your God, I believe, is waves. So I'm sure that when you're surfing, you feel like you're tuned in and tapped into something that you maybe normally can't access. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So what I do when I'm wanting to trust that a book wants to come through me is I just ask for it to reveal itself to me. So a lot of times that's before I go to bed. I, I'll, I'll say a prayer. I'll say, okay, listen, I know that there's something knocking on the door of my mind. I don't totally see it, but I trust that it's there. And, I, and I'll say, you know, please remove any blocks that I have. I ask for protection first. I, you know, I usually pray to my parents who are dead or I, I pray to God or just benevolent energy. And I just say, you know, protect me and bring forth um, the, highest, the highest vision of this book because I feel it. I know it's there, but I, I don't totally see it. And then I ask that I dream about it and that I remember it upon waking. Because we've all had those dreams where we wake up and we can't remember crap about what we just dreamt, <laughs> but we know we know it was important and we're so pissed. I don't want those dreams. So, you know, I pray that I remember it upon waking and I always have paper right next to the bed or I have my phone where I can immediately voice note it, you know, if I get something, if something starts to come in. And what's happened, Srini, over the years is that I will download whole books. I mean, I will see, well, initially my first, the first dream about uh, Lives Charm, my first book came with six other books or five other books in the dream. There were six in total. And, but I had been praying for the previous year. I, my intention was that whatever I was supposed to do next with my life would come through because I knew I was dog walking. I loved it. I had, I was making great money. I had terrific clients. My life was really energized and fun, but I also knew that there was a shelf life for that. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to want to walk 10 miles a day for the rest of my life. And also my sister had planted a bug in my ear that I wasn't using my brain, which pissed me off. I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I don't know that I have a brain. You know, I didn't graduate college, which she thought was ridiculous. And so I started thinking, okay, let's assume I do have a brain. I've always wanted to write. What, what could I write? You know, what could I be doing with this brain of mine? And I had been kind of mulling it over. And one of the things I think, Srini, too, is you have to trust what it is that you do know about yourself. I knew that I was enthusiastic and I knew that people had always called me charmed. I knew that my life had always been 
sort of blessed. It didn't mean that I didn't have great heartache because I did, but I knew that people sort of marveled at the way things always worked out for me in the end, no matter what kind of conundrum I got myself in. So I thought, well, what does it mean to be charmed? And, and now that I have a baby boy, you know, how can I help him to have a charm life? What does that look like? And as I was asking these questions about my own life and my own future, what I didn't realize was that they sort of morphed with my prayer about the book and ended up, I ended up waking up one morning at three in the morning with a book in my head called Charm Lives. It, we changed the title to Lives Charm because so many people had had the same idea. But it, it caused me to see that not only could I inform my own future by looking at how I was charmed, but I could talk to all the very many people in my life who were quote unquote charmed, meaning they had flow in all these areas of their life from spirituality to creativity, to financial abundance, to relationship health and ask them what they're doing. And, and as I did that, it made my life more charmed. And, you know, I wrote a book about it, but, um, the, the idea, it was because a, I was seeking B, I was seeking about things that I knew I had talent in, and and C, I was praying about it, very specifically. You know, I, I love this because it's it's so different than any of the advice I've heard uh, about sort of finding this kind of work within yourself. I, and I love that you brought up looking at your own experiences and trusting, you know, what you know. I mean, I, I think that I had said once, you know, we have this tendency to mimic rather than model, you know, when we look at our, our sort of heroes and the people that we right, look at. And, right. and I, I started to look you know, very closely. I mean, if you, you've been following me on Facebook and I jokingly say that I've committed career suicide one status update at a time, <laughs> but, but strangely, like what I'm finding is that there are two things that are becoming very apparent to me in this process. And I was telling Danielle this the other night when we had our, our charisma teleseminar. I said, I said, you know, Danielle told me one thing once and it, it made sense. She said, you know, you never create anything that's not a joy to create or, you know, uh, your and your art can never be about the money. And I said, yeah, well, that's easy to say if you're Danielle Laporte. Right. Um, I'm like, I'm sure you're not, you know, it's like, when is the last time you worried about, uh, you know, like, you know, how you're going to put food on the table and stuff like that. That's what I was thinking. But I finally understood that. And, and I realized how that impacts your work. Like when you're finding intrinsic value in what you do, it completely transforms everything. Yeah. Uh, like it, it just, it, I think joy bleeds through your work and I think people can feel that. Well, well, right. It's, you know, none of us, I remember a friend of mine said to me years and years ago, way before I was making six figures, she said, Linda, anyone who makes six figures is working their ass off. And I didn't want to believe that because I thought, you know, life should be easy and you should be able to do something that you love and have it be easy and have the money pour, pour forth. Um, I, I still hold to that image. I think that's a beautiful image. And pretty much everyone I know making six figures works their ass off. So including myself. So you want to find something that is easy for you. It's got to be something that you're so in love with that. I mean, we've heard this a million times in different ways, but that it doesn't feel like work. So even though I, I at times put in incredibly long hours, not so much now, I don't, <clears throat> I don't ghostwrite books for people anymore, which you know, it was pretty much a 24 seven job and, and in many ways ended my marriage. Um, but I do work very, very hard in spurts now. And, 
And, and I would say that it's because it's still easy for me. The hours are easy because of how much I love it. And because it's natural to my skills, you know, what I see people doing on the internet, and a lot of people have talked about this, including you, um, is that people are all sort of copying themselves, copying each other online. Everybody thinks you've got to do things a certain way. You've got to be a, a certain type of person to make it online and and people are copying each other to the point of where to find something new online is is a little difficult you really got to search these days for the new voices and and my kind of approach is just fly your freak flag i mean be who you are i'm a nut job i mean people <laughs> people either think i am the most whacked out person or they think i i speak perfect plain english depending on who they are i mean the people that come to my retreats are mystical, magical creatures. These people, you know, if, if they are logical, it's not the first thing you notice about them. But um, but they're making their dreams come true. And so I don't hide the fact that I'm woo-woo. I don't, you know, I try to be incredibly practical because I think you have to have one foot in the practical and one, one foot in the mystical. Mm-hmm. But I'm not taking my foot out of that mystical place for anything. And and I've never, I've never hidden that about myself. And so you find your people. Your people love who you are because you're being who you are. You're not trying to be a copycat to anybody else. Yeah, th- especially that last part. You know, the idea of, of being who you really are. I said, you know, like I, I've been toying with this idea of the no bullshit version of the person you, <laughs> you are, right? And, it's like, and you have to be the no bullshit version of yourself because that's the only version that stands out in a world that's completely noisy. Exactly. I mean, I would love to be Danielle Laporte. When when she and I were writing your big, beautiful book plan together, I noticed my writing started to change. Like even my emails to her, because we were working for three months, you know, pretty much nonstop around the clock on our book. And, you know, I would start sending emails to her that, that were like a lot more poetic. They were, <laughs> they were a lot more Danielleized. And I remember one time I was writing her an email. And keep in mind, we've been friends for like 15 years. I mean, I love this woman. She does not intimidate me. She's my buddy. But her talent is so extraordinary that it can be intimidating. So I remember one time I was writing her an email and I ended it, hey, baby. And then I thought, oh, I don't think she likes the word baby. I don't know. I, you know, was, I, I don't remember now, but, but I remember thinking, whatever the word was, I remember thinking, Linda, Jesus, be yourself, you know, don't, don't. And that's the, that's the challenge for the ghostwriter too, right? Ghostwriters are, are so used to putting their head in somebody else's consciousness to bring forth their brilliance, just like an actor, just like Nicole Kidman, when she was doing the hours and she had to, or or I forget which interview I heard her in. She was doing some, some movie where she had to put her head into a real life character. And then afterward, it's a little hard to be yourself, so I noticed myself doing that with Danielle a little bit, and I just thought, oh, here's that trap again. We have to be who we are, or other people aren't going to like us. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that's one of the things I love most about James Altucher is he's got this, like, almost yeah. shameless honesty to the way he right. writes. And, you know, I realized that for me that was suddenly – like, I started to, to – you know, not that I was copying the way he did things. because It was like I have my own story. But suddenly something changed in my work when I could I could just write from that place and stop thinking – you know, one of the, the best things I did was I turned off all comments on my blog, even though, like, I'm publicly putting everything on Facebook, which leads to plenty of comments. Sure. Um, but, like, I, I realize, you know, some of these things, I think we're so, you know, because our lives are on display in such a public way, Yeah. other people's opinions influence 
you know, us trying to be ourselves. It's like a popularity contest almost. Uh, and uh, when you ignore yeah. the whole idea of the popularity contest, then right. I think the real, the no bullshit version of you emerges. <laughs> That's an interesting point. And I was thinking about too, uh, about taking the comments off of my blog as well, because, um, it gets, a, it gets a little strange after a while. I remember one time I got a comment from somebody that really triggered something for me because they were trying to call attention to their blog, mm-hmm. but it was very selfish in what they were doing. They wanted, they wanted the business and it was a, a retreat business. So it was in competition with mine. And then I thought, Oh God, you know, I've just now spent a half an hour worried about this when in actuality, it's a big enough universe. We, there's enough to go around, you know, why not promote their their stuff as well. I didn't know them. That was the fear though. I didn't know if I would be promoting somebody that was, was, or wasn't, you know, doing a good job. But at any rate, it is complicated. We are all on this public forum and you don't want to get away from your authenticity and you don't want to get away from your art. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge for all of us. I mean, it's really, we got into this because of our art and because of the love of putting out our art And it can get very, very distracting with all the different voices and noise and different things we're supposed to do. And especially for an author, this is a time, this has never happened before in the history of being a writer. You know, it used to be that the only way to meet an author was to go to an event. And those events were very limited. I used to get letters from readers and they had to be sent through my publisher to me. So somebody had to write a letter to New York. The publisher had to then turn that letter around and send it to my house And, you know, that would take months sometimes. And now it's completely different. You know, somebody can reach you in two seconds. And we all are grateful for that. All of all of the writers I know are grateful for that because we feel more connected to our readers than we ever have been. And and there's something really yummy and juicy and, and intimate about that. But then it's also complicated because it takes so much time then dealing with all those different people that then you're not creating the thing that they like you for in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's talk about this whole idea of voice and, and sort of cultivating it and, and what stands out. I mean you've seen a lot of writers and Danielle being obviously one of the most exceptional ones that you come across. I mean everything she, she writes, you're just like, wow, how do you do floored. that? I know, floored. You know, and so what I'm curious about, uh, you know, having – coached all these writers, having been around this world for so long, how do you cultivate a voice that stands out and really, I mean, one that, I mean, how do you do your best work when it comes to writing? Wow. That's a great question. I think the first way is to trust your actual voice, the words that come out of your mouth. People say to me all the time, Linda, I'm a great speaker, but I can't write. And I call bullshit. If you can speak, you can write. It's very much the same thing. I mean, there's a mastery to writing that takes hours, that takes practice. And most people can find that in a ghostwriter or an editor easily. So don't get tripped up by that. I mean, I remember one time for Live Charmed, I was interviewing one of the world's foremost authors. And he said to me, he said, you know, I can't do punctuation or spelling to save my life. And I, he sent me something to prove it. And it was hysterical. I mean, this guy has like a shelf in every bookstore of all of his books. He's world renowned and he couldn't spell. His punctuation was atrocious. And, you know, people clean that up for you. Mm -hmm. And his publisher did that. Um, Obviously you can't as an unknown put out crappy stuff to a publisher right. and clean it up for you, right? You'll never, you'll never, they'll never read your query letter. And that's why you hire people to help you. But trust your speaking voice, tape yourself, listen to yourself. 
Um, have your have your talks transcribed. If you want to if you want to write a book about somebody, hire somebody or have a friend interview you about your topic, and then transcribe that interview, and then look and find out what you can get rid of, what needs to be cleaned up. But the gist of it is going to be there, and I'm guessing it will be authentic to you. It'll have your voice in it. It'll be good. It'll be great. Um, and then the other thing is just it's a practice. You have to show up every day, put your ass in the chair, and do it. And it, and that's not easy for people. I think that's the absolute hardest part is getting in the chair and putting in the hours. We have so many other things we can justify doing. Oh, yeah. That part, you know, it's funny. My friend uh, Israel Smith, who is uh, an amazing photographer in Australia who listens to our show, he was, he was asking me, he said, you know, he's like, I think he put a comment on Facebook. He said, stop being so prolific. You're driving me nuts. And I said, listen, I was like, if you saw how much crap that I have to produce, I was like, it, I, I told him, I said, it, basically a lot of gibberish results in a few gems. And right. I, he said, I'd, I'd love to actually see what you write before the stuff that you share with us. And so yesterday I finally showed it to him. I was like, see, it's 80% complete crap. I mean, you just, yeah. you said, I think that, you know, Justine and I were talking about this. We said, you know, people have this sort of glamorous vision of, of the lives of writers. And I said, you know, truth is there's a grind component of this that nobody really wants to admit. And you see like what comes out at the end, but I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, every morning I'm like, wow, this is all coming out the wrong end. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. No, talk about the grind. No kidding. Um, you know, I will write something and I have learned never, never, never to think that something I write is great, even if I think it's great, until I've looked at it for three or four days. So what happens is I'll write a, like, say a blog post. I'll write a blog post. Now, oftentimes, because of my schedule, I'll publish it the same day. But if I really want to write something that I'm going to be proud of years later, I know you should write it. Then you should read it the next day out loud. Then you should read it again the next day out loud because you are going to be shocked how much you will change, how many different things you'll see. It is so, it is such a funny process to, to read something the third day and think, oh my God, I can't believe I missed this, this, and this. And, there, and I'm not just talking punctuation. I'm talking inaccurate thoughts. Uh-huh. I'm talking crazy, stupid sentences. I mean, you just don't realize how much something evolves until you keep reading it. Oh, I've seen that even with with like you know bigger bodies of work that I've written. Like I, I did this manifesto, and I look at it now, and I'm like, wow, like so much of this is different now. Like I would write it differently, and it's only like five right. or six months later. Right. <laughs> I know, I know, and and so you know, the moral of that story is don't rush your art. Definitely do it every day with an urgency. I mean, try to wake up, get your best. For me, writing is usually best first thing in the morning. Oh, yeah. So it's good to give yourself that time before the craziness of the day happens. So schedule that time just for yourself. And then the rest of the day is so much easier because you know you've given yourself that juicy time. But then at the same time, don't rush the process of sending it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've seen memoirs take 10 years. The be- some of the best memoirs I've ever read took 10 years to write. Some of them take a year or two, but we're talking about from full-time professional writers who, who know how to do this stuff. But even, even Anne Lamont says that every one of her first drafts is a shitty first draft. Mm-hmm. So just expect that. I always expect that anything I write the first time is going to be crap. And then, and then you, you mold it. Well, you know, I think the other part you brought up is, is that sometimes it can take years because I remember, you know, when I when I first started blogging, of course, there's everybody's advice. So it's like write a manifesto and give it away. And then you look at it and you're like, okay, well, that's fucking great advice. But, you know, I don't have a manifesto in me. And <laughs> I have found what I found is that it took three years to emerge. 
Yeah. And I, and, and when it did, like, it was really weird. Once I knew what I wanted to write, it happened really fast. But the only reason it happened really fast is because of, of what we were talking about earlier is I, I had the dedication to sit down and write every day. And sometimes, you know, I, 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 when I came back from Misfit, I, I realized like all the – if I had compiled all my essays that I had been writing on Facebook together, I suddenly had something new that I didn't even realize existed. Um, so sometimes I, I think in the process of just going through this practice, things will reveal themselves to you. Yeah, it, that's that's a really cool thing. What you were just saying about having the intention. I mean, what? And I've seen this time and time again. You know, I'll have people come to my retreats who do who who will call me up and say, "I have nothing. I have fifteen ideas. You know, maybe on napkins or on a couple pieces of scratch paper. Maybe they're just in my head. I, I don't want to come. I'm too afraid to come because I know people have whole manuscripts. And I say, you know what? It's best." It's best when you don't know what the hell you're doing because once you have the intention to figure it out, that's where you have to get excited. Once you go, okay, I'm going to figure this out, you give your, it's as if you've given your unconscious the demand. The unconscious needs to have like um, a directive. Okay, so here's the directive. I'm going to figure it out. And then the unconscious goes, oh, he's finally serious. Okay, now we can give him the real stuff. Because before that, you get a bunch of inklings, you get jumblings, you get you get half sentences, you get an idea when you're driving that you don't remember once you get home. You kind of scribble down a little bit of it, but it sounds it sounds like a half-baked dream. But once you give your unconscious the directive and you start sitting down, or you book a trip, or you book a seminar, or you book something with a friend, a weekly, you know, check-in, like a writing support group, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a retreat. It can be any kind of disciplined, committed practice. Once you do that, the pieces start falling into place. And it still might take you a while to figure out what that bigger vision is, what the voice is, what the pattern, you know, the arc is of whatever book you're going to choose. But, but they, every day you will get closer to your goal. And then once you've figured out the actual book, um, the outline of the book, then it's as if the pieces start coming in at lightning speed. And I love that. I mean, I've, I've had deadlines with publishers for eight weeks. So somebody in the past hired me to write their book. We had eight weeks to write a book that in the beginning looks impossible, Shrini. It's like, oh my God. And every time I panic and every time I think I can't do it. And every time I think I'm in over my head, and then because you only have eight weeks, it just comes and it comes easily and you just pound it out. And at the end of it, you go, oh my God, I just ran a marathon. How did that happen? But it's done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the other thing I would say uh, about that is, you know, you mentioned sort of the half-baked ideas and incomplete sentences. And I think that people resist those. And I realized often those are like, you should definitely let those be like, let them be there because so much comes from those things as well. Yeah. Those are gold. Those are real gold. And it's usually the half-baked sentences that keep coming, you Mm -hmm. know, like, like I remember one time I kept hearing this in my head. I kept hearing, I was working on a book and I kept hearing, I want it to be like a dream. Well, that didn't make any sense to me. And I kept hearing the words dream, dream. And then I learned early on, I mean, later on as I started writing it, I learned that there were these dream sequences, these vignettes within the book that I think made it so much stronger. So I didn't know what that little sentence, that little word meant, but I just kept following the thread. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, I, I love that. And that that's how so much of my work emerges. Uh, 
let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. There's a question I want to ask you. I mean, you've, you brought up this idea of lives charmed and you talked about celebrities. Yeah. Um, and what I want to ask you about is the lessons that you've learned from observing those lives that are relevant to the lives that we live today and our branding online, because, you know, we, we had an interesting conversation on Blogcast FM backstage about, you know, personal branding lessons learned from the life of Kim Kardashian, which we thought, you know, people were like, really, there's actually lessons here. I was like, we were like, oh yeah, it turns out there's gold in that. Um, because, you know, there, there are a lot of things. The thing that I think is interesting is that a few years ago, we didn't have sort of all these media channels. I mean, before, if you were a celebrity, you had mainstream media and you could go out and you could create a message and, and have it stand out in the world. Um, but what I'm curious about is now with all the media channels at our disposal and everybody having this possibility of being a, a media producer and leveraging these channels, I mean, what are the lessons from the lives of celebrities and, and you know, charmed lives that are lives charmed that you actually have believed are brought into the world that we work in today? And how the, what are the implications of all of that? Wow. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I've never thought that through. I would say that one of the things I noticed when I when I was interviewing celebrities is that they all had such a strong belief in themselves despite having almost no support from friends or family growing up. I mean, I, I really felt like the people that I saw that, that were succeeding the strongest were the ones who had the toughest childhoods and had like such an inner resolve, such a clear sense of inner resolve. So I would say that it comes down to discipline. I mean, now with all of these channels that we've got and all these different ways to promote ourselves, if you have that inner resolve that you're going to figure it out, that you're going to make it happen, then I think it's a matter of being practical. So you hold that sense of confidence and then you just think, okay, I'm going to promote myself. I'm going to put myself out there, say, to three to five places a day because there are sort of endless channels to promote yourself. So you think... How can I align with or connect, you know, connect with, approach, or promote myself on three to diff- three to five different places a day? If you did that every day, that's the kind of consistency that I saw with the celebrities that I that I interviewed. They were doing things consistently every day. Obviously, they were different than the way we're doing them now, but they were consistent. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like they had such a strong belief in themselves because they had had such hard childhoods that they didn't, they just didn't worry about the nose. They just kept going, kept going, kept going. So I don't know if that answers your question. Oh yeah, it does. I think to me, the big takeaway there was the consistency piece Uh, because I, you know, I, I, like, I look at the people who have succeeded online. I mean, I think this is going to be after this year will be a a year five of Blogcast FM and all the sort of external rewards or external accolades that, uh, that I thought would be around are, they're just starting to show up now. And strangely, like I care about them less and less. Isn't that interesting how that works? That's exactly how it works. The thing that we, that we strive for in the beginning, that grandiose sort of vision of bestsellerdom in my world, it, it matters less and less the more success you have. And I, I noticed that with every celebrity I interviewed who was over the age of 70, I used to say, oh, my God, how is it that every, every elder that I ever interviewed doesn't give a shit about their success? <laughs> and I started laughing. I thought, you know what? It's because they've had it. Once you start to have success, it fills – it's interesting. It doesn't fill holes if you can't inherently fill them on your own as well. It's like uh-huh. money makes people worse in the ways that they're bad, and it makes them better in the ways that they're good. And fame is exactly the same way. But I'm telling you, the people I know who have become famous, and I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but um, they, if, 
if they were inherently good people, it filled every hole. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, I can't believe how much people I know have healed through their fame, which is so the opposite of what you think, and it's the opposite of what you hear. But the fame in so many ways heals. And, and I'm talking about the fame, not just notoriety, but the kind of fame where you can actually affect change, the kind of fame where people are making a difference and saving lives through their, you know, their inspiration. So that's the kind of fame that I'm seeing heals not only the people that they're putting it out to, but the people who are, who are attaining that fame are healing. Well, you know, it, it reminds me of something AJ Leon said when I asked him, I said, you know, what separates all these people? And he said, it's motive. He said, none of their motives were ever to be famous, but their motives have always been to change lives and, and to have sort of this impact that you're talking about. Yeah, but I will say in the beginning, it's both. Yeah. Because, <laughs> no, and, and the people I'm thinking about, believe me, they wanted to be famous. But they also had an ache to heal, to heal the world, to heal their past, to heal their family, to heal their, their future offspring. Um, but boy, did they want fame. And as they got famous, their their sort of ego drive got less and less because mm-hmm. That that piece does. I don't know. There's a lot of healing that comes with that piece. So let's do this. Let's um, speaking of famous people or, or people we consider famous. Let's talk about the work that you've done with Danielle uh, specifically. Uh, you know, I, I, one of the big reasons I wanted to spend some time talking with you was to talk specifically about book marketing, okay. um, and, and what you know went into the big beautiful book plan. But let, let's let's frame this in the context of a tactical example. Uh, Let's say we want to take – I mean an author comes to you. They have a book or a manuscript or an idea. I mean how do you take it from you know, a bunch of jumbled ideas on a piece of paper to doing what you do, which is turning it into a bestseller? Wow. Okay. So the first, the first vision is that you have to create a book that's fresh and different. Um, you know, thousands of love books come out every year. There will always be a market for love books because people are, are constantly in pain about love. The divorce rate is so high. At any one time in America, you've got at least half of the population looking for love, and it's probably way, way more than that. So never get afraid of the fact that it's already been done. Whatever you're writing has already been done in the marketplace. That's okay. But you want to find something fresh and different in your, in your expression. You want to be um, funny. You want to be self-deprecating. You want to lead with your, you know, I think your mess can be your message. So definitely be, well, there, sorry, um, there's two different thoughts I have here. You, you either want to be the expert. So if you are the expert, be real confident in being an expert and give lots of examples of why your, your people have been successful with your expertise. Or what I find is much more helpful to most of the people I help is how can you take them on a journey with you and discover these things together? So it takes you away from the stress of having to be the expert and your, your travelers together as you're writing. So find that piece that's different and fresh about your expression, that means you need to know your marketplace. You need to know your competition. The biggest mistake I see authors making is they say to me, I'm not going to read my competition because I don't want to infiltrate my brain with their stuff. Bull crap. What that means is you're going to write a book that's not good enough because you're going to be copying people and not know it, or you're going to miss out on great research that's already been done. I've seen people mess that up so many times. So know your market, know your research. 
And then, you know, you have to know, you have to know the pieces of a great proposal because nobody in publishing is going to look at something that's not beautifully laid out. So you've got to, you've got to create a really stellar proposal. It doesn't mean you have to write the whole book. You know, you just write a great proposal, a couple of sample chapters and see if you can sell it and see if it's worth it to you. If you only get 20,000, is that still worth it to you? I prefer to write a whole book before I sell a proposal because um, I don't want to rush anymore. I don't want to have eight-week deadlines anymore. I, I'm too old for that. <laughs> it's too exhausting. So, But you don't have to do that. It just depends on, on the way you want to do it. Um, you want to align with people that are going to support you. And ideally, you have that stuff way ahead of time. You know, Srini, I know that you've helped people with their book marketing, and I know you know that you've got to do it ahead of time if you want to be really, really popular and successful. Mm -hmm. um, I went out and I got letters from, um, from bookstores, from successful bookstores, from celebrities, from people saying, Yes, you know, we'll put her on our talk show. Yes, we'll we'll host a big signing at our bookstore. Yes, we're going to promote her on Extra or Entertainment Tonight or whatever it was. I used the connections that I had. Now, people can say to me, yeah, but Linda, you had those connections. I don't. I'm just, you know, a nobody. Okay, but, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of support out there for nobodies. There's a lot of, of um of ways that you connect with people. And that's a whole different conversation. That's a networking conversation, but there are so many ways to reach people who can support you and align with people and take the time to do that ahead of time. So that when you've written, whatever it is you're writing and putting it out in the world, you're not scrambling. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is, you need a lot. This is a foundational thing. You need a very strong foundation to put out a book. Yeah. Um, did I answer? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. You know, to a large degree. I mean, it's. I think the foundational piece is key in my mind. Uh, is I, I always say, you know, you build the small army before you go into battle. I love your small army, and you have so many good points in that book. And that's exactly right. They need to read that. They need to be thinking about that army. And and a small army is better than no army. So mm -hmm. people people think, oh God, I have to have a hundred thousand Twitter followers. That's not true. You don't. You have to have a great idea and you have to have massive passion and you have to have beautiful execution and publishers will take a small army. They will at any time, as long as everything else is great. Well, I, you know, and that's funny. I saw, I mean, I self-published that book and I, I will tell you 20, 20 to 25 people turned that book into the success that it's been. It wasn't the massive amounts of people who bought exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. It was like 20 people and then Chris Brogan suddenly stumbled up on it. And I, from there, it kind of took on a life of its own. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's a great book. I mean, and what I loved about that book too is it wasn't something that you, it didn't look like you slaved over it forever. It no, I didn't. Like it was a conversation. You wrote that in your speaking voice. You wrote that beautifully. It was so authentically yours. It didn't look like you belabored over it to death. You didn't kill your sentences with, you know, too much editing. So you found that balance between putting out a real high quality project that looks like it was very, very well done, but it wasn't overdone. So it had that kind of speed and authentic authenticity and urgency about the about the um, the text that made us feel like we were with you and having a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you know the overdone part. I, I want to comment on that. I, you know, I, I I made a comment at Misfit uh, when I was giving a speech uh, about the whole idea of the art of being unmistakable, and I said, you know, sometimes there's this temptation to polish something so much, and I said, and the danger in polishing something so much is that it loses that luster that made it shine from within to begin with. It's true. 
and and that's that's why I think we we love people like James Altucher because he's so shamelessly honest. There is he he lacks that polish to some. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, I uh, I was reading Dave Edgar uh, Dave Eggers. Um, uh, heartbreaking work of staggering genius again the other day. I was looking through it and you know that the opening, I don't know if you remember it, but the opening is so funny and long and he's just like putting a thousand thoughts into, you know, a very small amount of pages. And you're thinking, God, it's all over the place. And I thought, had this been over edited, they would have cut so much of that rambling diatribe that made the book so popular it wasn't over edited. It was like whoever, whoever edited him trusted him and his sort of all over the place style. And it really worked. People loved it. And then, and then at the end of this long section, he writes, you know, here's a picture of a stapler. So the stapler wasn't mentioned. There was no talk about staplers. And then suddenly there's a little drawing of a stapler and it was so random and out of place. It made me laugh out loud. (laughs) Yeah, I, there, there's you know so much here. It's funny because you know the book marketing conversation. The other thing that always comes up for me is I realize that there is no dead set formula. I mean, there are some de- definite things you want to do right, but it's going to be different for everybody. You know, I, I, like I remember thinking I was like when I when I worked with Jamal Yogis, I said you know I could use some of what Ryan Holiday has taught me, but I'm also not working with Tim Ferriss, so a lot of what Ryan has right. mentioned to me is not going to be effective. Right. Right. Yeah, I think book marketing is, um, it's tough. It's, it's a very, very tough thing to do. You have to be consistent and it all boils down to consistency and putting yourself out there and aligning with people and, you know, blogging, guest blogging, doing interviews being, I think the interviews for me were the most shocking thing when I first started putting myself out there as an author. Um, and, and in those days we didn't have the internet like we have it today. So it was, it was radio interviews. And I, I did, I don't know, a hundred radio interviews in a couple of weeks. And, you know, you're doing drive time in New York. So I was in California. So I'd have to do an interview at three in the morning and I was in an apartment because we were traveling. So I didn't want to wake up my family. So I'm doing an interview from the closet at 3 a.m. I've got a kid asleep out on the, you know, a bed right outside the closet. My husband was asleep and and, you know, I'm talking to New York and they're like, how does it feel to be so successful? And I'm thinking, shit, I don't know. I mean, I had Subway sandwich for dinner last night and I'm in a closet. So, <laughs> you know, it, it all boiled down to just doing it, just putting it out there, aligning with those radio hosts. And, um, and I didn't love it. I mean, it was hard. It was like talking about yourself constantly. It was completely irritating. And, but the people who don't do that, who don't put themselves out consistently and constantly don't, don't usually have the bigger success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, even Danielle, she says throughout her creation process, she's always talking about what she's working on. And I've, I've followed her very closely. You kind of always have an idea of what's, what's coming next. She builds right? a sense of anticipation. Like right now, we're all anticipating the launch of her magazine. We're like, okay, this sounds insane. Like this. Right? Is, and I'm sure like when it comes out, I will call her and say, okay, ready to come back to our show and talk about it. Well, that's the thing. She, she really taught me a lot about the, the preview, the preview to things and the suspense building. And you know, what Danielle and I have not talked about is I think, and she may not even know that she's doing this, but she is helping. Um, she's really using brain science. I don't know if you've heard a book called wired for story. It's one of my favorite books on creativity and, and the book, um, it just came out this year, but it talks about how, when you build a sense of suspense, 
the reader is always, or your audience member, you know, it could be just the reader on Facebook with Danielle or on Twitter, mm -hmm. but the reader who is, doesn't know what's coming next, their brain is releasing dopamine. Their brain are, is releasing all these different kind of hormones that are giving them a high because as a, as a people, we're always looking for the answers to things. And it's a survival mechanism. It's like, you know, back in the caveman days when, um, you know, there was a, a, say a deadly bush. So a kid eats a bush, part of the bush and the kid dies. And then the guy wanders around the campfire that night and says, okay, the bush with the yellow berries just killed my kid. Don't eat it. And then that story is carried by campfire to campfire to campfire. And so really, if you think about story, as a way in which that we are using to survive, whatever the story is, it's all about survival, right? So if you think about Danielle and her magazine, I don't know what the end result is exactly, but I will tell you that she is going to have tidbits for us about how we can better survive this world, how we can better survive business, how we can better survive love, how we can better survive anything it is that we're doing. And therefore we can't wait and it's a dopamine thing, right? Our brain is like all excited and amped up and feeling good about what she's going to release. So think about that in your own release, you know, whatever it is that we're working on, if we can create suspense mm -hmm. and a sense that what we've got is going to help others avoid trauma or tragedy, you know, then you've got, you, you've got them waiting. That might explain, you know, that might explain why I'm having such a, an interesting reaction from people with the willingness to put out such l large chunks of what I do on Facebook. What, what do you mean? I've, I've been literally publishing essays on Facebook. Like I've violated every rule of Facebook status updates, but the thing is it's all part, it's all leading to something much bigger. Right. Uh, exactly. And even when I've put pictures of book covers that, that I have, you know, when, when I did the small army strategy, like bits and chunks of that book were all basically given away via Facebook. Right. Right. And so, you know, listening to you explain it makes makes a lot of sense now. Like, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but uh, <laughs> but now now that I've heard it that way, I'm gonna have to check out that book because that you're that sounds. A, yeah, you're a natural storyteller, so you inherently knew to do that. So let's do this. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about your retreats. Uh, and and where I want to start is, is sort of one, you know, especially my my natural and, and morbid and selfish curiosity comes from the fact that I'm about to do my first event. Yes. Uh, so I mean, what I mean, starting from scratch, because literally to me, I'm like, wow, I'm like I've got a moleskin and an idea and a domain <laughs> name, and that's what I know right now. And of course, you know, it, like I have a lot of help in the, in the works, but. You know, from sort of the inception to actually putting it on, what goes on? You're and I know that's a lot. Yeah. And I know that's a big question. So obviously, you know, you'll probably have to give us a condensed version of it. But I'm, I'm curious, sure. you know, step by step, like, how does it all come together? Okay. And when you say inception, you mean from the idea I had to have the retreat? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I didn't actually have the idea myself. I was doing a teleseminar and I was doing the teleseminar to save my house because my husband of 19 years had just bailed. So I, it was right at the beginning of the financial crisis and I didn't know how to save my house and I didn't want to, um, I knew I couldn't do it doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. There was too, too little time and too much to, too much to earn. And, and I couldn't do any more ghostwriting than I was already doing. So I set up a teleseminar and I charged $485 for it and it was four weeks and, um, 60 people showed up and it saved my house. So on the second week, I was, or right beforehand, actually, I was talking to a guy who ran my um, teleconference line, and he said, 
you have to do a retreat because a certain amount of people that come to you online are going to want to have a personal experience. you got to charge $5,000 and you have to um, put 10 people in the retreat and you can use my house in Breckenridge. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, I, it, to me, it sounded like highway robbery. I didn't even know what he was talking about, but I did it because I was desperate. So five people show up, only five, which was plenty. If I'd started with 10, my head would have fallen off. Five people showed up to this house, and I very quickly realized that this was the most profound, beautiful way to work with people. And so from that point on, I was lucky because I already had 60 people on the phone who had paid a substantial amount of money. So it was therefore logical to assume a certain portion of those people could afford to go much deeper and spend you know, much more money. Um, I did not know how to continue that. I felt like I was so lucky the first time. It felt like the house was floating and I was just lucky. And I was terrified to try it again. But because I had such good testimonials, and this is something obviously, you know, you want to use. You want to use those good testimonials so that people know that 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 what you're offering is of quality and what they're going to be getting. So after that point, I just set up a landing page about the retreats. And I just started promoting it within my list within, um, I had a few people, well, Danielle for one thing. So Danielle on the fire starter sessions had received rejections in New York, which I thought was insane. We were really good friends. I thought she was the most brilliant writer I had ever read. And I couldn't believe that people weren't, weren't snapping it up. And so I insisted on sending it to my agent friends and they weren't, they weren't getting it. They thought that she needed a bigger platform. They didn't understand how big this was going to be. And I was, I was so incensed, Srini. I sent it everywhere. Finally, she calls me and she says, stop, Linda, stop. It's ridiculous. I'm going to go build this effing platform on my own. And I, and I still sent it out. I didn't even listen to her. I sent it to two more. And at any rate, because I had done that for her, when I started my retreats, Danielle did the same thing for me. She didn't want a commission. She, I don't even think she told me. I think she just did it on her own. One day she writes a blog post about me and my retreats and about how she called me from New York crying and how, you know, I had been magic for her. And boom, I'm telling you, Srini, in one three-week period, I think I filled a year's full of retreats. So again, I was just lucky. I mean, had Danielle not done that for me, it would have been a lot harder for me. I had another client do it. I had, um, the feminine power people did that for me too. They wrote this amazing blog about me again, didn't want a commission they were doing. And this is, this is one area I would say it's so important to have friendship and to, and to support people. I had supported Danielle, not knowing it was ever going to come back. I supported Danielle because I loved her and because I thought she was an unbelievable talent that was changing the world. And if people didn't get it, I was going to help them to understand. And I had done something similar with feminine power. I loved their work so much and they wanted to thank me and wrote this blog, which filled almost all of 2012 retreats. So by that point, because, um, I was getting such, such good results. I mean, people were getting book deals because, you know, I, I love my people and I, if I can help them, I'll walk them into agents. I'll help them get book deals. And it was happening with enough regularity that by that point, you know, I think when you stick with something long enough and you get results, 
Then word of mouth takes over. Then, you know, it's, it's easy to market something because you have that social proof. You've got the website up, you've got video up, you've got testimonials up. You're, you're, and again, though, it's still, it's, there's still grunt work. Mm -hmm. You know, people email you, you still got to email them back. People, people contact you. You've got to call them as quickly as you can so that they don't find a retreat somewhere else. Um, then the other step is the practicality with the house. You know, I found a house, I found a landlord that I loved. Um, there was still a lot of work to be done with, you know, the house breaks. What happens when the house breaks? There's all sorts of logistical stuff. You have to work out legal stuff. Um, I got legal papers in place so that I was covered if, if things went wrong. Um, when I showed up initially, I had an assistant who did a lot of the work, but then I found it was much better to have a chef than an assistant because, the assistant actually kept me too distant from the people. So I would show up to a retreat. I wouldn't even know who was there half the time. Um, it got to the point where I needed to sign up the people. I needed to do all the phone calls. I needed to send the PayPal links because then by the time they show up, I feel like we're already friends. I already have such a sense of who they are. We've already connected so many times. People said to me, Linda, I couldn't believe you were the one emailing me. I couldn't believe you were the one calling me. It made a difference, and it made them feel safe. It made them feel taken care of. It made them want to trust me, that I was trustworthy. Um, and then, you know, I found I like to do during the week better than I like to do weekends. I found that it's easier for people. So, you know, primary, I'm, I'm opening them up to men now. We just had a football coach, ironically, at, at one of my retreats, and the women loved him. So... Um, I'm open with the scheduling. It used to be just women. And I found that women really liked to come on a Monday night and leave on a Friday at noon because that meant that they were home for the weekend with their families. They were home Monday, you know, get the kids off to school. It seemed to be, you know, I wanted a long amount of time. So it felt like weekends were too short. So I personally love doing them Monday through Fridays. I do follow-up retreats in Arrowhead at my home for people who've already come on the weekend. So I'll do smaller things occasionally. But I really like doing that Monday through Friday format. Um, do you have any actual questions about yeah, yeah. how this is great, actually. So one one question around this, you know, I, it's funny as I'm listening to you say this. I remember I jokingly put out a status update uh, about the instigator experience, and as I started mapping it out, I said, you know, this is going to feel like planning a wedding, except I'm not going to have a wife to show at the end of it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, one question around uh, th that I have is structuring the content and the experience for people. Yeah. What yeah. does that look like? That's the part that I'm actually very curious about. You know, I don't know. You're you're doing more people than I am. My retreats are very intimate, but I went from six people to five people. Now it's four because I like to meet with each person privately every day. And I found that if I'm, if I'm meeting with six people, I, I'm too scrambled. It's too much for me to hold because remembering I'm, I'm helping them to birth an entire book. And very often they don't even know what they want to write yet. So it's a whole lot for me to bring through. And so for me, I have to keep them very, very small. But I would say that what you want to do, you want to have some kind of group interaction. If The brainstorming is very, very key. So if you're doing, say you're doing 50 people at your retreats, I think it would be really cool to break it up into smaller groups 
So there's some real hands-on brainstorming time because what I am always amazed by is how much people benefit each other through their own. It's that group think that kind of accelerates everybody's genius. And so, you know, because there's only four people that come to mind, we do that group brainstorming every day for each other. And it's really consistent. I don't know if you can do that at all, or if you can do it maybe once or twice, maybe it's different groups. But I, I think brainstorming is invaluable. The other thing that's pretty much invaluable in that brainstorming process is that when people are telling their story, when people are telling what it is they're there for, what it is they're trying to accomplish and achieve, it's that act of being heard, being listened to, being able to voice something that maybe they've never voiced before or they've never voiced it on strangers where it's able to land in a way that they've never been able to see before that is priceless. There is such value to the person who is able to speak their vision to strangers that I cannot even explain. It's magic. So find a way to do that at your retreats. Love it. Okay, that was genius. There's so much good stuff there. Uh, well, you know, I, I and the re- that was the main reason I asked that question. That was the biggest thing I wanted to know about how you do retreats because it, it sounds just fabulous. Uh, so you know, we've we've actually hit about an hour and twenty minutes, and yeah. uh, that's because you've just had so much really really juicy <laughs> stuff. Set up. Oh, this is no, this has been absolutely fabulous, uh, Linda. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with uh, with our broadcast FM listeners. This has just been a blast, and I think people are going to learn a ton from this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Srini. I love your work so much. It's just an honor. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.